0: It's 12 Enough, the Wilderness Edition, Part 4, Isolation, and Community. With your host, Jonathan Malone, and guest host, no one He's all alone. 12 Enough is a podcast of Christian faith and culture in the modern age. Your host, Jonathan Malone, is the pastor of the First Baptist Church of East Greenwich, Rhode Island your guest host, no one, is not the pastor of anything or anywhere, doesn't have a church, doesn't have a state, has no identity at all, just isolation. This podcast is brought to you by Community. A lot of people gather together, pretending to like each other, acting as if everything goes okay, while just under the surface, there's so much rage and animosity and anger. That's what makes community. And we're back. Uh, this is another one of the wilderness editions of the 12 Enough podcast. I know you're, you're probably off of that. You're still riding that high from the live show that, that you listened to, and maybe you just listened to it again. It was really a great show. I, I, wouldn't, I would totally understand if you listened to that show at least 5, 10, 15 times. I mean, really, it was good. And maybe after that, you're saying, all right, Malone, what do, you, what do you have next? Do you have more great guests? Do you have another live show, another panel, another brilliant uh, episode? Nope, I've got another Wilderness Edition. Uh, I've been doing this now. This is the fourth one, and these are uh, me telling about my experience in the Adirondacks a couple of years ago when I was on sabbatical, and um, you know I've written a lot about it, and I want to share. And I haven't gotten any negative comments about them. I've actually gotten some positive comments, positive comments about them I can talk to. Uh, So that gave me enough to say, keep doing this. Don't stop. Just keep going. So I'm not stopping. I'm going to keep going. And we've heard about preparation. Uh, We heard about anticipation. We heard about frustrations. So today we have isolation. Isolation and also people. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the people I met and what it was also like to hike by myself. And, uh, you know, listen. You know, maybe listen with a friend. Maybe listen with a couple of friends. Or maybe listen by yourself. Either way, enjoy. Enjoy. Isolation and community. Day 1. Hiking solo and being alone. Let me say right off that it is not safe to hike alone. Or perhaps I should say that it's safer to hike with someone else. You can do things to be safe when hiking alone. You can be sure to tell someone where you're going to be and when. You can bring a first aid kit. You can be as cautious as possible and do everything that you would do if you were hiking with a partner uh, but it is still safer if you're hiking with someone else. Many of the concerns are obvious. Uh, what if I were to fall and break my leg and be stuck in a gully or a ditch surrounded by wild birds looking for some, some lonely and hurting hiker to peck at? I would not be able to get any help. I would not have any, anyone around to take a picture of me being ravaged by wild birds. And that's something that would really trend. I would be alone, screaming. Evoking the Greek myth of Prometheus and no one would be there to give witness to my epic suffering or, or to help me. It's good and safer to have a partner. Two heads can sometimes keep each other cool in difficult situations, can support each other and help each other in difficult moments. It is always safer to hike with someone. Yeah, I know all of this and yet I still feel the pull f- to the solo hike. There is something about going into the wilderness without a group or without even one other person. There's something different about the isolation the solo h- that the solo hike offers, a different dimension and experience of the wilderness, and that is something that I've come to enjoy. Yet, as much as I feel the pull and draw to the solo hike after this journey, I've come to realize that there is a difference between hiking solo and being alone. Hiking solo is great. Because you can go at your own pace. On the trail, it is easy to get in a groove. It is easy to find that flow, that sense that you are moving and the trail is just moving and your feet seem to know where to go and your body knows what you do and you do not have to really think about what is happening. Your mind is free to wander and enjoy the the eternal moment of the hike. You don't have to call ahead for someone to wait for you because you're not going fast enough. You don't have to stop and wait for someone to catch up because you're going too fast. You just go. It's a wonderful moment of physicality, dexterity, flexibility, and meditation that I I have found is easier to capture when hiking on one's own. Music plays for me in these moments in the back of my mind, songs dredged up from the playlist of my memories, all to the rhythm of my steps to keep me moving, and at the same time help me leave the present and enter into that eternal moment of the hike. Hymns from church, Symphonies that I've played in the past, songs that I may want to try to forget all sound in my inner thoughts, guiding the rhythm of my feet, keeping my steps in time, and keeping the time of my steps. This is the moment of flow. It is the moment of zen, and it is the moment when I am separated and flying. My mind is going elsewhere, and it is good. I find that I am able to experience a trail in a different way, moving in a rhythm that keeps with the jumps, the pauses, the ducking, and the careful steps from stone to stone. This is good, but only for a certain amount of time. And thus, one of the challenges of hiking alone emerges. There's no one else to be a voice of reason crying out for a break or a rest. And while my mind loves to wander, my mind loves to muse, to be unshackled, my body wears down and wears out. The physical strain and demands begin to overweigh the benefits of hiking and the benefits of the hiking flow. Eventually I start to get tired or get sloppy or I start to move too quickly and get sloppy and sometimes I miss my footing and fall. Sometimes I fail to crouch down low enough and hit my head on a branch or a rock. Sometimes I start to miss things and the possibility of getting hurt increases. This is when I start to realize that it is not good for me to be alone. I need someone to pull me back to reality, I need someone to call me back to the reasonable pace, I need someone to say that it is time to take a rest. It is less safe to hike alone, and yet I still find great joy in the solo hike. When I am by myself, I find that there is a joy in going through my morning routine at my own pace. I have no one to converse with, no small talk to pass the time. Instead, I have the pattern of the morning. I have the sounds, the smells, the taste, the textures, all adding to the routine. The sound of the fire lighting on the stove, the force of gas pushing the heat onto my pot for water has a romance to it. The feel and sound of the packets, the coffee, the carnation instant breakfast, the instant oatmeal, which I eat cold, uh, right out of the packet. They all add to the routine, the joy of the moment. I inhale and exhale the morning air, take stock of the sky get a sense of how cold it is and what the what bodes for the day as i enjoy my dehydrated banana chips and wait for the water to boil on particularly crisp and clear mornings i enjoy the still silence rising from the stream swirling around the trees with fog and mist it is as if all creation is waking up in an atomistic and also communal way and altogether slowly Even the insects seem to be a little slower and more reluctant to impact my experience as the day begins. The morning has a sacramentality to it. The possibilities for the day are still free, the hopes are still infinite, and the silence that is created by not having another person with me makes space for all of these possibilities. And I enjoy being able to wake up in my own way, at my own pace. I enjoy the silence and the noise of the routine. All this adds to the liturgy of the experience. When hiking solo, I enjoy sleeping in my tent, having space to stretch out, roll around, and be free of bugs. Hiking solo gives me a freedom that I find and embrace in the silence, the solitude. I don't mind having someone with me in the morning, but the experience is different, and something is lost. In the evening, the experience is different, I do not enjoy the solitude in the same way. But the morning is a precious time and is often when I appreciate hiking solo the most. There have been times when I've been hiking solo that I have not been alone. These were times when I was with other people in a lean-to or a campsite or when hiking the Northville Placid Trail when I was with a group of people for a day or a night. And there is something nice about being with a group of people with whom I have no commitment because I'm still hiking solo. There is a sense of community and fellowship that is almost immediate with people who are sharing the same space for the evening or hiking the same trail all day, but there is a freedom that is found when, even though I have shared a meal with these people and have shared the same sleeping area, I can get up and leave on my own in the morning, hike at my own pace, and feel free to do so. It is a community without obligation, and if I really want to find a place where I can find the isolation of the morning rituals, I can. Before I over romanticize the whole hiking solo part, there are and have been moments when I did not enjoy being alone. On the one side is the joy of solo hiking, and on the other side of the same experience is the difficulty and pain of being alone. There may be some who enjoy the solitude and isolation, but I found that there were many times when I regretted being alone and yearned for the presence of another At times I did not notice the isolation, enjoyed the solitude, and other times I did not. This was a tension, a pull each day I was on my own with my hikes. There were moments when the difference between hiking solo and being alone stood out the most. Often it was near the end of the day when I was starting to work on supper and wishing I had someone else to talk to. I wanted to share stories of the day to see if anyone else had experienced the same pain and joy that I had experienced there have been moments when I've been sitting at a lean tour, a campsite, and looking down the trail either way again and again, hoping to see someone approaching, hoping that I would not be eating alone. I was reminded of when I was a child, waiting for the mailman to arrive with a package I was anticipating. No matter what I was doing, I had to keep running to the front window to see if the mail had yet arrived. My mind was pulled between what I was doing and what I hoped for. I was making dinner, setting up camp, and still looking and hoping, and anticipating. It's not that I was scared to be alone, although the night sounds can be a little creepy. I just wished for company. These were moments when I was hiking solo and was alone, and when the difference was most noticeable. Perhaps the hardest moment, the moment when the pain of isolation was deeply felt, was halfway on the Northville Placid Trail. I had been hiking solo for four days, and I was feeling lonely. It had been a difficult hike thus far. It had rained for the first two days. The insects were unrelenting. I had been pushing myself more than I probably should have, and my body was in a lot of pain. By the fourth day, I was not in a happy place. And then, in the middle of the night, when I woke up to go to the bathroom, my glasses broke. There was no trauma or impact that caused my glasses to break. They just fell apart in my hand. But as my glasses fell apart, my whole reality fell apart as well. My immediate reaction was that things were going to be awful, that I was going to have to get off the trail, that this was the worst thing that ever happened, and I was disheartened. I managed to temporarily fix my glasses with tape and knew that I would now be the coolest kid on the trail, uh, but that was not enough to to lift my spirits. I was hiking with extreme caution, hoping things would not get worse. I was already hurting, pushing my body much more and further than I should have, and to wake up in the middle of the night and find my glasses broken, and to not even have a cool story to accompany the break. They just broke. Cheap glasses. This was a blow. The next day, I was feeling beaten down. The insects were bad. The blisters were unrelenting. The pain would not leave, and I was hurting I wanted to find someone to connect with, someone to talk to, walk with, someone I could bitch and complain with, and to remind me of my own humanity. On this fifth day of my hike, beyond finding a respite for my sore muscles and blistered feet, I yearned to have a good conversation. Like most days, I started early, before the people camping nearby, the people in the side across from me, and others that I walked past. I started early and told myself that it was so that I could get a lot of miles in before the day was over. But that early start added to my experience of isolation. For at least the first three hours of my hiking, I did not see a single individual. It wasn't until 11.30 a.m. that I saw someone hiking in the other direction just passing by. I tried to soak up as much conversation and connection as I could, but they had somewhere to go, and I imagined I smelled pretty bad, and after about 30 seconds of polite conversation, I was left alone. The bugs were out, I was tired, it was getting close to lunchtime, and I did not want to stop. At about noon, I met up with a family of hikers, a father with his two sons and a daughter-in-law hiking the trail at a much slower and relaxed pace and having a great time. They were looking forward to an evening at a campground, showers, steak dinners, with plenty of libations, and I wondered what it was I was doing on this trail alone. I did not take advantage of the opportunity to stop and have lunch with the family, to enjoy a moment of human interaction and companionship, but kept pushing forward. At 12.30, I passed through a state campground full of people preparing to celebrate the 4th of July. Children were running and playing, grills were warming up, music that I would normally detest was sounding. It was a wonderful capturing of what the American family should be doing on the day we proclaim and embrace our independence as a nation. And I was wondering what I was doing on this trail, making my way through a state campsite, passing by other hikers, and feeling alone. I finally stopped for lunch at about 1.30, alongside a busy road, close to an outhouse, not feeling great about myself. It was not the relaxed lunch stop that I would, I would rather have, but a rush tide to refuel so I can get back to hiking and escape the putrid smells from the latrine. By this time in the day, I had adopted an urgency to move without a real reason to do so. I'd begun to get angry and bitter, to embrace the solitude that I did not desire at the beginning of the day. I'd begun to hate what I was doing and... And I had just wanted to get as much of the trail done as possible. Most days, the goal was to make it to the next day that I had planned then, and then to stop for the night. But now, the plan was to go as far as I possibly could. A few hours later, I passed a lean-to that I had planned on stopping, O'Neill, O'Neill Flow. But I did not want to stop. I barely took note that I was going by what was supposed to be my stopping place for the night and pushed forward. My demeanor had become terse, angry, and resolute as I continued on the trail. I did not want to be by myself, with myself, and my thoughts and my loneliness, and if I stopped at this lean-to, I would have to come face-to-face with my anger and malcontent and kept going. I did not want to think about the possibility that if I stopped and stayed at a lean-to, it would be very likely that I would eventually meet someone else. I did not want to be alone, and yet I needed to be alone. One hour later, I came to another lean-to, right next to a lake, next to what was supposed to be a great beach a Toral Pond. I did not want to stay. Previously that day, in the quick conversation that I had, a hiker going the other way urged me to spend the night at this lean-to. He spoke very highly about the beach, extolling how great a place for swimming it was. I would have very likely had a wonderful evening by the water, enjoying the area, and may have even encountered other hikers. But I did not stay. It was only four o'clock, and if I stopped I would have to spend I would have hours to spend at the site without the repetition of the hike to distract me from myself. I did not want to face my loneliness and kept going. I passed another campsite with a chair right next to a river, the Salmon River campsite, inviting me to stop, sit in the chair, enjoy the moment, stay for the evening, but kept going. I'd begun to tell myself that I can go until 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, have supper, go to bed, and I would wake up early and start all over the next day. I'd adopted a kind of thinking that said that I could just hike all day without much break, sleep for a few hours, then repeat the process. And this way, I would be done with the trail quickly and would no longer have to feel so down about being alone. I would become a hiking machine that did not look to enjoy the wilderness, did not look for stillness or the peace or the beauty, but just to win, be victorious, to control, to dominate creation. This is not great thinking. And it is the kind of mentality that can become dangerous. And part of me knew this. Yet I did not want to stop and face the demons of my isolation. I only wanted to be done and out of the wilderness. At about 5.30 p.m., I realized that I was starting to hike in a way that was stupid, and I needed to stop. I was running for myself, I was pushing myself more than I should have been, and I was running the risk of tripping over something, running the risk of pushing my body past what would be, would be safe, and I needed to stop. I don't know why it was that I began to soften and change my mind, but I realized that I needed to stop. I started to look for a good place off the trail to set up camp. I would walk by something that might work, but for some reason or another decided it was not good enough and kept on hiking. All I needed was a place to set up my tent and a good source of water, but I was still not ready to stop. I was still pushing myself, even as I was realizing more and more that I really needed to stop. The conflict was internal, but was not easily accepting resolution. It was then that the trail broke through the trees and opened up into a meadow with a slow, patient and beautiful stream cutting through the tall grass. The sun was low in the sky falling upon the grass reflecting off the stream and I realized this was where I needed to stop. In the expanse of the meadow I found that my mind cleared, that I was able to think rationally and I stopped. There was a small place in the woods just before the meadow where I could set up my st- tent and still have the cover, cover of trees to keep the wind and rain at bay, but I could enjoy my suffer, supper on the rough-hewn bridge over the stream. I could watch the sun set behind the trees, enjoy the peace and stillness, and maybe come to some sense of why it is that I was running from my own isolation. This is where I would stop and look at my demons directly. I had not found an, an official campsite, But it was an inviting place for me to spend the night. And because it was not an officially sanctioned campsite, and because I was deep in the wilderness, I knew that there was a very high chance that I had found a place where I could be sure I was not going to see a single person. I was going to be alone. I had been pushing myself because I did not want to be alone, and where I decided I needed to stop was where I was sure I would be alone. After a good supper on the bridge, accompanied by one snake and tall grass and some birds, I stood on the bridge, looked around, and wondered aloud, "'What is wrong with me?' I asked it softly. I demanded it loudly. I listened for an answer. I was hiking solo and had all the freedom in the world, and yet I was pushing myself to make the miles so I could finish the trail a day early and realized that I was now not just hiking solo, but was hiking alone.' I was in the woods, away from all the distractions that I said I wanted to avoid, and yet I was not content. I was looking to connect and find distractions. I even tried to get cell phone service for a moment out of desperation so I can post my frustrations on social media and connect with the world. I was in a beautiful place, watching the sunset, surrounded by tall green grass and the forest beyond. I was exactly where I said I was going to be all summer. I had been working and striving to get to this place. My congregation, my family had sacrificed much so I could get to this place, and I did not want to be here. What was wrong with me? I do not like to be alone. I like to be solo in my hikes. I like to feel like I am free, like I can go where I want, at a pace that I want. But I do not like to be alone. This was a realization that I had to embrace and struggle with. As much as I like to hike without others, I do not like to be alone. This realization is confusing and frustrating. One of the reasons that I go into the wilderness is to find a space where I am separate from civilization, and yet I find that I still yearn the presence of others. I go into the wilderness to be alone and find I do not like it. Such a realization I encountered at a less intense level in the high peaks where there are scores of people on any given day. It is rare to find an evening sight that is not shared by someone else, but there were a couple of evenings that I was completely alone. The weight of the isolation was not as heavy as I met many people in the mountains during the day, yet on this seven-day trip through a much less visited area of the Adirondacks, it was not as common to encounter people. The interactions that I had were fewer, adding to the weight of isolation. I was almost halfway through the summer journey and the initial joy of being in the wilderness was beginning to wear off and the intensity was beginning to just wear. This week... I did not have a family member or a friend with me. My isolation was real even when I was with someone else. If I had taken a moment and stood back, I may have realized all of these things were adding to my angst of isolation. I may have realized that I was in a vulnerable position, that I really should have stopped and spent the night in the lean-to miles back where there was a possibility that I would meet someone and break the despair of isolation. Such hindsight was not with me, and instead I plunged into the depth of this challenge of the wilderness that I was carrying with me on the trail. I did not want to be alone, and I had done everything to ensure and guarantee that I would be alone. For the whole week of hiking, in this more isolated area of the Adirondacks, on a trail that is still growing in popularity among hikers, this was the only evening that I was truly alone. This was the only time that I was not sharing a campsite or a lean-to with anyone else and I was face-to-face with my discomfort with my isolation. I chose my isolation for the evening. I embraced it as I went beyond each campsite. I deliberately decided to go deeper into the pit, into the hole of my own discomfort and to stay in that place. I decided to face myself and to come to some kind of terms with my own sense of discomfort and struggling. After my supper, after I cleaned up, I stood on the bridge, looked at the grass, the hues of sunlight illuminating various blades, the stream flowing calmly, and wondered aloud what it was that I was wrestling with. There is a great tradition in Christianity of people wrestling with demons and angels. Jacob wrestled and received a changed name. Athanasius wrestled with demons and emerged black and blue, but with a purity of resolve. I did not have a demon or an angel to wrestle with, but only myself. But the struggle was and remains real, and I knew that I was starting to find the deeper wilderness that I needed to wrestle with. I stood on the bridge and resolved to look and not flinch. I resolved to stay with this demon of mine in the hope that I would emerge with something to show for my anxiety and despair. I did not have a revelation, a shout from the heavens telling me to stop complaining and to be thankful for what I had. I did not have a snake emerge and tempt me to leave the wilderness and embrace the false community of society. There were not any animals that emerged from the wilderness telling me that it was going to be okay and I did not have to worry my isolation because they would be the community that I desired. I was alone and I decided to embrace my isolation, to sit with my isolation, and to stay alone. Now, of course, I know that God was with me this is the sunday school truth that is told so often that is easy to accept and and embrace it is like telling someone to be aware of the air they breathe we actually have to work to be to be aware in that isolation i did not feel as if god was present i was not breathing the spiritual air of that basic assurance and it hurt I was in a place where I could not stop and listen and breathe and be aware of what my Sunday school school teacher had told me again and again, that I was not alone. I was at a place where it was not easy for me to be still. I wanted to pace along the bridge to keep looking at the forest to see if someone might emerge to find some kind of escape from my loneliness. My anxiety was turning to anger because this was not how I was supposed to feel. I was not supposed to be torn and pulled, and it did not feel as if God was present. I set my timer for five minutes. I needed something to keep me still, to make me focus, and to keep me from just pacing back and forth on the bridge. The timer created space for me to stop. The timer opened up a place for me to step out of the frustration and into the moment when I might be aware of what was happening. I sat down on the bridge, allowing my feet to dangle over the stream, resting against one of the logs that created a rail for the bridge, and tried to focus more on where I was, and what I was feeling and experiencing, and where my thoughts were going. I breathed. I looked around. I listened. I let go of the thoughts that said I needed to be somewhere, that I needed to be off the trail with my family. They would be okay. Okay. I let go of the thoughts that said I needed to be claiming and articulating a deep understanding of who God is and what God is about. I'm never really going to understand or figure that out. I let go of the thoughts that were pushing me to be someone that I thought other people wanted to be. I cannot be the conservative pastor who preaches against certain people and for a specific reading of the Bible. I cannot be the liberal pastor who is at every rally, every protest, and will keep Jesus silent for the sake of inclusion. I cannot be the homeowner who will manicure their lawn, spend many hours and even more more dollars on projects and beautification. I cannot be the father and husband who will take his family on lavish vacations, who will dote his family with gifts but never be present. I breathed. I listened. I started to really experience and embrace the isolation from all the expectations. When I step away from all that pushes me to be someone or something, I am alone. I was alone. I am alone. For that moment in time, that moment when I delved into the deeps of isolation that was hounding me, demonic in its demands, I found beauty. In the stillness and the wonder of the place, I'd found beauty. I did not think that this could happen anywhere. Such beauty is not found in my home or on a city street. I needed to be at that spot, deep in the wilderness, in a place where nature is saying and showing how the world should be. I can find beauty elsewhere, but in that moment, in in the pains of my isolation, I needed to be on the bridge, in the open field, over the stream, surrounded by the forest. I needed the beauty that only creation could offer. I breathed. I listened, I let go, and, and for a moment, for a fleeting break in the infinite, I had a sense that I was in the presence of the holy other and did not feel alone. For a moment that lasted as long as it needed to and that continues to last, I was able to brush up against the hope that I am not alone, and that gave me comfort On this side of the journey, I look back on that moment and realize that as much as I could see the beauty and all of nature around me, I was missing something more. I shrove myself of the expectations that I was carrying. I had, for three months, fasted from the demands and distractions that the normalcy of life imposes, even the life of a pastor. I was alone, isolated in the wilderness, and while I could see the beauty all around me, when I looked at myself without all the demands and burdens, I do not know if what I saw was beautiful. I listened. I breathed. I let go and I found a divine assurance that I was good just as I am and that I would not be left alone. But I was not able to accept that assurance. Not yet. It was a revelation, but only a fraction of one. That might have been all that I could receive at the moment. It may have been all that I can receive right now. It was a real comfort that came out of my moment in the infinite, even as I continued to struggle with this sense of worth. The space in which I stopped was a gri- was a gift. The time I embraced to listen and breathe was a gift. That night, in my tent, assured that I would not see anyone, assured that I was going to be alone all night and into the morning, I slept very well. <laughs> I'm not sure what I learned from the tension between my enjoyment of solo hiking and the struggle with isolation. I continue to sit with the ambiguity of the experience and try to come to some sense that there is something about being alone that I need to wrestle and struggle with. I can say that I am looking forward to my next solo hike. But I will also say that the idea of another solo hike makes me nervous. I know that I get lonely. I know that it will not be easy and I still feel the pull to return into the wilderness alone. It takes work to be alone. It is not easy to be with my own isolation, with my own thoughts for a prolonged amount of time, because in part, I am not sure if I like who I encounter. When I am alone, not leading others in prayer, not acting as a leader in the community, it takes work to be aware of the presence of the divine and to know if I am doing everything in a way that I might consider right. I do not have the approval of others to give me insight. I do not have the metrics of the outside world to tell me that I am on the right track, and this is a difficult place for me to be. There is something about me that looks for a recognition of what I have done and who I am. Being able to share with someone at the end of the day is important for me. It is a way for me to glean some kind of affirmation of my experience and of me as a person. I cannot say that that this is a good thing. While it's nice to gain affirmation, I wonder if this drive to be noticed should be something that I need to have in order to flourish. Part of me simply enjoys a good conversation, and if you're hiking all day, it is most likely that you may not have many long or involved conversations. Part of me looks to others for affirmation. Can I accept that I'm good enough? That my experiences are valid? Can I simply sit with the experiences of the day? It may be that I am not settled or comfortable with myself. I enjoy hiking solo, and it is difficult for me to be alone. I am not done with the struggles of isolation and want to go and try again as much as it scares me. It is a deeper, introspective wilderness I believe I have just started to encounter and still have much to explore. It is a wilderness that I know I can, to a degree, find not just in the mountains and in nature, but in the environment, but that the environment opens up the space for me to delve deeper. I want the adventure, the challenge, and the freedom of hiking solo and being alone so that I may find that hope and assurance about myself that I've not yet grasped. I want to go deep into the isolation so that I can find a peace in being alone so that I may find and love myself. From St. Teresa of Avila, read on the top of Dick's Mountain. Give me the grace to recollect myself in the little heaven of my soul where you have established your dwelling. There you let me find you. There I feel that you are closer to me than anywhere else. And there you prepare my soul quickly to enter into intimacy with you. Help me, O Lord, to withdraw my senses from exterior things. Make them docile to the commands of my will so that when I want to converse with you, They will retire at once like bees shutting themselves up in the hive in order to make honey. St. Teresa of Avila. We're going to stop there. Because uh, after I recorded the whole section, it was about two and a half hours. And um, that's really long. That, that's really long. So we're going to stop there. And the next time I do this wilderness, one of these wilderness episodes, we'll start talking about the people I met. Uh, people I hiked with, people I shared lean-tos with, all that fun stuff. But for now, we stay with the isolation. Stay alone. Learn to like yourself. Learn to enjoy time. By yourself, with yourself. Anyway, I I hope you enjoyed that um, little bit of of uh, my experiences in the wilderness, being by myself, hiking alone, hiking solo, uh, and found some inspiration in some kind of way. Our next episode will be a uh, another one of the conversations, more back to our traditional twelve and off episodes, where I have a conversation with Mark Chafin, um, just about um, gender and identity and presence of God. Uh, really good good conversation that we had. And then we'll come back to another wilderness one. So we'll just keep going back and forth. It keeps everything feeling fresh and alive. And that's what we want. To feel fresh and alive. If you want to send a comment about this show or any shows, you can send those to 12Enough at gmail.com. 12 is written out. Go to the Facebook page uh, Facebook slash 12 Enough written out and you can Find other things that I do or are going on, or when I post episodes, it's on there. Uh, go to iTunes and like us on iTunes. That really means a lot when you can do that. Uh, it just helps with the standing, all that sort of thing. Uh, and as always, thank you so much for listening. Twelve Enough is a podcast about Christian faith and culture in the modern age. Your host is Jonathan Malone, the pastor of the First Baptist Church of East Greenwich, Rhode Island. And no one, no one else was the host. I did this one alone. All the thoughts, ideas, opinions, ruminations, moments of pausing and moments not pausing do not reflect the pastor, the church, um, the wilderness, isolation beaver dams, snakes, or anything else of that nature. These are my own ideas. This is my podcast.